Let me say it again. Buenos dias, Christ Church. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. I'm practicing my Spanish, okay? First two days were a little rough, but they're going to get better, right? You know that song uh, that we just sang? There is a line in it that I just love, and I love to close my eyes, and I love to commune with the Lord when it says, Holy Spirit, my shame is undone. Whatever Satan accuses you of has already been dealt with at the cross. And he has no hold on you. And that is just a wonderful thing, to have no shame. Now, God will give you guilt when you cross the line. But you know what happens when you cross back over the line? The guilt goes away. Woohoo! I don't live in guilt anymore. Nobody's going to be able to manipulate me with guilt anymore. Make me feel guilty that I'm going to live from the center of my soul, my heart, because my shame is undone. I, I just love that line. I just had to do a little tangent there. Um, I hope you read the first chapter of the story. It was all about Adam and Eve, Genesis, and the flood. And next week we'll get into, you know, chapter 2. But I get a chance to talk about chapter 1 today. Genesis 1 through 4 and chapter 6 through 9. Now, because it's such a wide range of, of material, I only get to do a little bit. And so let me just start off by saying this. Many, if not most Americans, believe in the Big Bang Theory uh, that caused the universe to come into existence because that's what was taught as fact in our, our schools. Now here's the summation of the Big Bang Theory, and it's not the television show, but let's read what the summation of what the Big Bang Theory is. The universe burst into something from absolutely nothing, zero, nada, and as it got bigger, it became filled with even more stuff that became from absolutely nowhere. Now that's on the cover of Discover magazine from 2002. And what a bunch of hahui. The theory calls for no center of the universe, no edge, and begins with no space, no matter, no energy, no time. It just says that something, and I love it, in the textbooks it says there was a, let me get this word right, a quantum fluctuation. So there's nothing, and then the textbooks will say, and then there was a quantum fluctuation. Hey, hold on, you just said there's no quantum to flux. So how can there be a quantum fluctuation? Now I love that honest scientists admit that the Big Bang Theory has no water to hold. It has incredible problems. And these are atheists. These aren't Christian scientists. Let me read what it says, and then we'll read the second half of it together. It says, the first and main problem is the very existence of the Big Bang. One may wonder what came before. If space-time did not exist then, how could it appear? everything appear from nothing? What arose first, the universe or the laws determining its evolution? And then it says, explaining this initial singularity, where and when it all began, still remains the most intractable, intractable problem of modern cosmology. And this is a, a professor of physics at Stanford University that isn't a Christian. He just is honest enough to say this theory doesn't hold water. Now, 
How many of you have heard some sirens this week? Drive by your house or on the freeway? Do you hear how the, as the siren approaches you, it's winding up, and then it passes you, and then it winds down? Right? Have you heard that? It's a different sound, right? Did I do that well? I, I thought I did it well. Well, the same thing is happening out in the cosmos that as something is moving towards the earth, it produces a color. And if it's moving away from the earth, it produces a different color. And let me just share what those colors are. Um, stars and planets that are moving away from the earth produce a red light shift. And stars and planets that are moving towards the earth produce blue light shift. The fact that we observe primarily red light shift from the earth in all directions... So if you're going that way or that way or that way or that way or that, it's all red. It's not blue, it's red, which means it doesn't even line up with the Big Bang Theory. It's, and we really shouldn't even call it a theory because it's really a model. Technically, it's called a model. I love what Nikola Tesla, have you ever heard that guy? Smart, smart guy. He's the guy that's responsible why we have electricity in the wall. Oh, it was a Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison wanted um, direct current, which could only travel about 300 yards before it went dead. Tesla invented AC that we are still using today. This is what Tesla said. The scientists of today think deeply instead of clearly. One must be sane to think clearly, but one can think deeply and be quite insane. <laughs> I love that line. So our scientific observer, observations of the universe actually fit the biblical model that we're about to read, not the Big Bang. And unfortunately, when people take God out of their worldview, they're going to have presuppositions that will blind them to the truth of what the evidence shows. No, the creation of the universe was not an impersonal event, but the result of a loving creator. In fact, Creation reveals God's passionate, loving heart. And so the very first fill-in-the-blank, if you're taking notes, is this. Creation reveals God's passionate heart towards us, creation. Romans says this in chapter 1. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood what that what being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse we not only see creation we we experience love and joy and peace and and um, harmony it's the geniusness of god that that just screams us how can you not hold a baby in your little hands and not wonder at the majesty of the creator am i right now you saw on cbs this past sunday that iceland has eliminated they quote down syndrome you know how they have eliminated down syndrome they kill every child that has down syndrome before it comes out of the womb so very two different things to say we've eliminated down syndrome from our country it's another thing. Well, we just kill them off. They are blind. They are just blind. This is what Psalm says. 
Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. And their voice goes out into all the world, into all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. To really see the passion of God's heart, we have to go to the very first two chapters of, of the Bible. So you ho- have your Bible with you or the story. You can go to Genesis chapter 1. I love this. I personally know a man that was a, a Soviet scientist who was sent up to the North Pole and he was the only one in his team to get a visa and he actually was given a Bible in the very last place. He got up to the North Pole. His comrades couldn't get an exit visa from Russia and he spent a whole winter up there by himself. His name's Sergei. And guess what? The very first line, because he thought, oh, the Bible is just fairy tales. The very first line of the Bible tells it all. In the beginning, time, verse 1, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, mass. Ask any scientist what our continuum is. It's the time-space-mass continuum that we live in. Even if you've seen Back to the Future, you know that, right? And it's just like, whoa, the very first words of, of Genesis tells us there's time, space, and matter. The exact thing that we find as evidence. So the only bang that happened was that God spoke and it came into being. Now look at verse 2. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is just empty. And then on days 1, 2, 3, God creates light and dark, sky and water, and land. And then the rest of the week, days 4, 5, and 6, he says, now that I've made the time-space mass continuum, I'm now going to fill it. And he's going to fill it with the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets. And he fills the sky and the water and the birds and the sea creatures. And he fills the land with animals. And on day 6, he's going he's to create man along with the, the animals. And it went from formless and empty to formed and filled. The time-space-mass continuum exists because God created it, and then he filled it. And look what God says. Well, I don't know if we have time, but day one, he says, it's good. Day two, he says, it's good. Day three, good. Day four, good. Day five, good. Day six, good. But he's not quite done in the afternoon, is he? Go to chapter 2 of Genesis. Let's look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Do you realize that God created all this by just speaking it? But man, he shaped and he breathed into him. We are unique from all of creation. 
you are much more valuable than a dog and a tree. And even though you probably love your hamster, you're better than your hamster because you were made in the image of God. And that is when God said, it is very good. Do you know in ancient days, and I'm talking four or five thousand years ago, in times of the, the, you know, the, the, well, we'll talk about that next week. I'll show you pictures about the, the things, the pyramids and the things that they used to build. But what kings would do is they would carve an image of themselves and then they would go out to the furthest region of their realm and they would place that statue. And then they would do the same thing and they'd create another statue and they'd go out to the furthest realm of their, their realm and they'd put the statue here. And anyone that saw the image of the king knew it was his realm. Do you realize that you were made in the image of God because this is his realm? You are his representative to this earth. This is the place that he said, this is my realm and I'm putting my image right here to let the whole universe know this is mine. That's how precious we are to him. So man is the pinnacle of creation. And all the other beauties of creation, guess what, are in second place when compared to you and I. Now, does that sound egotistical? That we're better than a sunrise, we're better than a sunset, we're better than chocolate? Can I say that? We're better than steak, we're better than all those things? Yes, when compared, because we are the image bearer. And we're, Adam and Eve were the crown of creation without sin or blemish or de defect. And God's passion was to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. That was his love. We're, we're the very good of his creation. And he wants to hang out with us. He wants to spend time with us. And Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden. And they were naked. I love what the Jewish rabbis say about Adam and Eve's nakedness. They, now this is just their opinion, but I, I think it bears some weight. Do you remember when Moses would spend time with God up on the mountain and his face would glow? Any place there was skin, it would glow and you, you couldn't even look at it. He had to wear a veil. I don't know if you knew that, but when Moses went up on the mountain and would talk to God, he would come back and his face would shine so brightly, he had to put a veil over it. Well, if you're naked and all of you is in the presence of God, you're shining. I think His glory was covering their nakedness. That's what the Jewish rabbis would say. And it's just kind of cool to think about that. Now, how long were they in the garden? Any guesses? A week before they got kicked out? I don't know. It wasn't very long. And why do we know it wasn't very long? Because God had told them, be fruitful and multiply. And they didn't have any babies in the Garden of Eden. So uh, they didn't last very long. Now creation reveals God's passion. Surprise, surprise, it's you and I. Now sometimes stories have flashbacks, right? You've been in a movie theater and there's a flashback. Well, we're going to have a flashback for a moment to introduce another character into our story. And that would be Satan.
In Isaiah, it says this about Satan. Oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, and this is why theologians think this is talking about Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly of the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend to the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. So Adam and Eve were born into this struggle, this war that Satan has declared on God. And because we, or Adam and Eve, are the apple of God's eye, and Satan can't hurt God, who's he going to set his sights on? You. God loves you so much, Satan can't get to God, but he can if he hurts you, if he destroys you, if he takes your glory away, he's going to get to, to needle God. The precious and cherished image bearers is what he went after. First Peter says it this way, that we've been born into the same conflict. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Or what, John, what Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes to steal, maim, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and to the full. And so there's this, there's this contest going on. Now we know, if we've read a little bit more, that there are two special trees in the Garden of Eden. One is the knowledge of good and evil, and one is the tree of life. And there was only, how, well, how many rules were there? I'm giving you a hint. There was only one rule. So when Adam and Eve broke the one rule, they broke all the rules, right? And what was the temptation? Satan comes along and says, you can evolve into God. All you have to do is disobey him. Now, he wasn't that clear. He didn't want to tip his hand. He wanted to suck them in and seduce them into rebellion because God said, don't eat of this tree or you're going to what? You're going to die. Don't eat of this tree. I have given you everything. One rule, don't eat of this. Satan comes along and does what? You're not going to die. You can evolve. You can be like God. And what happens? Adam and Eve, first of all, were, were created with the ability to choose who they want on the throne of their heart. And with a little deception from Satan, Adam and Eve, they doubt God's word. They take a bite. Their eyes are opened. And bang, the world is completely different. So here's the fill-in-the-blank for number two. And then what is typically called the fall is referring to when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and believed the liar instead of God's word. And the fall reveals our problem. Because every story has a problem, right? If you're watching a movie that has no problem, you're bored with it, aren't you? You read a novel that has no conflict, you're bored with it. God's story has a conflict. And the fall reveals our problem. In Romans chapter 5, it says this, Sin, that's an next fill in the blank, sin was brought into this world. 
Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death became to all men because all sinned. You know, I forgot to show you a slide. Can you go backwards for a moment, Heather? Can you show answers in Genesis? If you want to know more about creation science, go to Answers in Genesis. I took a two-year course uh, back in 10 years ago, and I spent two years studying the evidence for creation. It is overwhelming. It will blow your socks off, but it is not going to be taught in the public schools. In fact, did you read about this past week where a guy who is uh, at the California University of Northridge, he found a trisoratops in Montana that is undecayed. In other words, it has flesh on it. They can look at it at a microscopic level and see the DNA of it. He published a paper. Two weeks later, he was fired. Because if you say that there's a dinosaur and it still has flesh on it and it still has skin on it, there can't be a, you, you can't have 4.5 billion years in an earth. It shrinks it down to a few thousand years old. Now, I got to go to India, a little side note, where there is a temple that has a carved dinosaur that was alive when it was carved. How old is the temple? It's less than a thousand years old. Dinosaur is a Latin word that means big lizards. Do you know that reptiles just continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? They never stop growing. And at the age of the earth, when we look at this, and the, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, got to live for a thousand years, guess what? That little lizard just grows, 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 grows. It's just kind of amazing. You can do it today in a hyperbolic chamber. Allow things to just grow, 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 grow. So that's a whole other thing. But go to Answers in Genesis if you have questions. God is not afraid of your questions. Okay, back on track. So sin was brought into this world. And number two is... Nature changed, and so did our natures. We took on a sinful nature. Now, we're still image bearers. We're still made in the image of God, but we're marred a little. Kind of like grandma's fine dining table was perfect, and then suddenly somebody spilt something on it, forgot to wipe it up, and it delaminated. It's still grandma's table, but it's been marred. We have been marred. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8, that even creation is longing to be redeemed and brought back to its previous glory. Number three is this. One el another thing came, destruction came. Decay, genetic failures, birth defects, disease, cancer, birth defects. I, I, the list goes on and on and on. What brought in, God didn't create it that way. That wasn't his purpose. That wasn't his design. Number four, death came. Death came. It didn't come the moment they ate. They didn't go, oh, it's poison. Die. No. But now there's death in the world. In fact, Adam and Eve are going to have to bury their own child. Some of you have had to do that painful. What made this even more painful is that their other son killed the son. When Cain killed Abel, they were face to face with what God had said about, if you disobey me, this is what's going to happen. Death. Death came. 
And then there was the fifth thing, spiritual death. They are cut off from the tree of life, separated from God, banished from the garden. And then number six, despair came. Now Adam and Eve are going to have a lot more children. Sin is permeating the human race, and it's getting corrupt. You know, when you live a long time, you, you can get into a lot more trouble, right? Are you with me on that? I, I, there's a book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce, but it's fascinating. Um, but he talks about what would have happened if uh, Hitler got to just continue to live and Attila the Hun just got to continue to live. Or Charles Manson gets out of prison, just continues to live. And you just allow evil to ramp up. Evil doesn't regress, it just ramps up. And, and what happens is, is the whole world seems to be violent and corrupt. And God comes and says, I, I, I can't deal with this. This isn't a part of my plan of redemption. I need to find one good guy. And he finds a guy named Noah. He goes to Noah and he says, Noah, I want you to build an ark because I'm going to start over, so to speak. I'm not going to be able to produce a Christian nation, so to speak, to bring the Messiah in this environment. It's been so corrupted. We're going to start over. And I want you to build an ark. And what does he do? He builds an ark. He has his three boys go on with their wives. And he has his wife they survive the flood, and guess what happens? He gets out of the boat, and find, instead of finding the Garden of Eden, he finds that the sinful nature is still with him. In fact, there's an incident where Noah gets drunk, and it says he went inside to his tent, and it, it's in vague language, but there's something going on where he uncovered himself. Anytime somebody uncovers himself in, in Scripture, that means something's going on, usually of a sexual nature. His son, one of his sons, saw what dad was doing in that tent, whatever it was, went in and stared at him, made fun of dad. The other brothers, they said, don't do that, that's wrong. Now God's point is this. If we wipe out our, our environment and we get to start over, but we still bring the sinful nature with us, it's just going to replicate again. It's like a germ. You can clean every aspect of your house, but if you don't clean this one counter that is filled with germs and you leave it alone, guess what? In time, those germs are going to go everywhere. Here's what God was saying. I want you to realize it's not your environment that was the problem. The problem, man, is in your heart. Last time I cursed the ground and that had little effect on your... I punished you and it was like you took it in stride and you just continued to go against me. And I want you to realize that it's not just about the environment. It is in your heart. I, he had told Cain, Cain... Sin wants to control you, but you can control it. Cain just said, no, I'm going to do my own thing. He killed his brother, even though he said he could master it. That's, that's pretty amazing. Now, 
this image of nakedness is usually about sin and shame. And I'm going to wrap it up here. I know we had to cover a lot of ground today, but Adam and Eve, when they realized they were naked after they sinned, what did Adam and Eve do? So here's the scenario. They rebel against God. They realize they're naked. What do they do? They hide. They hide. Really, but to cover up their sin and their shame. And by the time Noah comes along, the sinful nature is so uh, rooted deeply that just with a little alcohol, things go crazy. And here was God's point again. Even the most righteous person can't cover up their sin. Sin has to be dealt with from the heart, and we have to deal with it in God's way. Now, some people would find issue with that. And so let me give you a little scenario that, that God has to deal with the heart instead of just the environment. Um, let's say a man comes in and brutally attacks your family, kills your spouse, kills your child, and the man goes before a judge. And he doesn't deny that he did it, but he brings in all this documentation of all the good things he's done in his life. And then the judge says, well, you killed this person, but you've done all these wonderful things. You get to go free. Is that a righteous judge? No. No, it's not a righteous judge, not a good judge. God is a good judge, and therefore he has to deal with the sin issue, the sinful nature. Now, he could just punish us, but that's not what the story's about. The story is he wants to rescue us from our sinful nature. He wants to not only change our environment, he wants to change the very nature, the DNA of our nature. So here's point number three. Animal skins reveal God's provision. They were naked He went and killed some animals, made some covering for them to cover their sin and shame, symbolically. Hebrews, it says this, The law requires nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And then it ties into Romans 3 where it says, God presented himself as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So we started the story that God loves us and we are precious to him. We are the crown of his creation. We are made in his image. We are his image bearer. And there was sin and death came into the world and there was a fall. And we have a sinful nature that's passed on from my, ch- my loins to my daughter. My daughter's here today, my middle daughter, so that's Brittany. She has inherited this propensity to sin. And even the best, I mean, Noah wasn't the right way to deal with it. Our natures need to be changed. So God gives away the theme of his story by providing a covering for us through Adam and Eve. 
The animal's blood was shed so Adam and Eve could be covered. And the rest of the story is about how God is going to provide a covering for us and how he's going to change you from the inside out to be like you were designed to be in the garden, designed to have joy and peace in spite of your circumstances. And the rest of the story is about to unfold on how God's going to do it. And it's just a beautiful thing that God loves you and cares enough for you to pursue you. Now, how does it affect your lower story? Who sits on the throne of your heart? Have you been set free from shame and guilt? And is God doing a work in your heart? In your heart. And sometimes we're so confused by what the world has told us that we just need to be reminded you are made in the image of God and he loves you and cares for you and his story is actually your story that you are getting caught up into his story to become a different Brock and a different Ian and a different Heather and a different Robin and a different Stella and a different we just put everybody's list in here don't we because he is changing us So we gather as a body of believers and we worship Him. We sing songs to Him. But it isn't one hour out of 168, is it? That's not what it means to walk in the garden with Jesus. It's a 24-7 thing. So we've worshiped Him. We've got a little bit of the story. And now we're coming into a time of communion.